Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Let's all grab a seat if we can, please. Good morning again. Good morning. Good morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, let me just say uh, again a welcome uh, from all the brothers and sisters in Calvary Chapel, Cambridge. We greet you in the Lord and thank the Lord for what God's doing here in South London. And I just want to say I'm so blessed to be here with all of you because um, we are so excited about how God is working through brothers and sisters in this fellowship and over the years, I've had a chance to get to know Robert and Ephraim and getting to know the other brothers like Patrick and uh, uh, Mark and the rest of the guys. And it's such a great bunch of brothers and sisters that are in this family. And God is truly doing a work among you. And I'm so thankful to see and to witness it firsthand here today. I have been uh, in talks with uh, Robert and Ephraim for a while about uh, Robert got to come to our fellowship back in the wintertime of last year. And our whole fellowship was so blessed by Robert come and bringing the word, and it's a joy that the Lord opened up this door for me to be with you on this day, and so I'm so thankful to be here. Thank you for your welcome to me and for this opportunity to share the word of God with you, and I really am excited about how God is working in our present age, but like you, I'm very conscious that we are up against a major spiritual battle. And we cannot be lighthearted about that. We've got to take it serious that we are living in days that require God's people to be fully decided and resolved to be living for Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. And the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 69, see God really wanted you to hear that. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, that the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. And we're going to talk a bit today about what it means to be loyal to the Lord because we're going to look at the scriptures today in 1 Kings chapter 13 in a message I've entitled, Living Godly. In this present age. Living godly in this present age. So if you'll turn in your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Kings chapter 13. We're going to take a look at a story in the Bible that's going to illustrate beautifully for us. What it means to be different from the culture and the world that we live in when there's compromise. And when there's corruption. And we're going to discover today a bit more clearly what it means to truly be a man or a woman of God. I want to begin just by saying to you that this message that's on my heart, I believe, is a very timely word for the church at large. And what I'm sharing with you today is a message that I would gladly have go out to all my brothers and sisters, wherever they are around the world. 
Because the call that God is saying to the church today, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, is a call that requires all of us to wake up. Because our salvation is nearer today than when we first believed. Amen? And when you stand before Almighty God, and when you join with the angels who have been worship, worshiping him forever and ever in eternity, from the time they were created all the way to forever, we know that God is glorified, God is worshiped by his creation, and we will join with that one, one day. We will join with them in our glorified bodies. And we'll be with our glorified Lord. And we'll be in a glorified place. And without any of the flesh getting in the way or the corruption of the world, we will look into the eyes of our Savior and we will see why everything was worth it. That the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. They're not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And when you see Jesus for who he is and you look at him in his face, you will see joy in your Lord. And he will look at you and say, well done. My good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. And it's one thing to hear me say it, but one, what a wonderful thing it will be when you hear the Lord say it to you. But brothers and sisters, we need to live worthy of that. We really need to understand that the narrow path that Jesus Christ called us on is difficult. It's not easy. Paul told Timothy, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, not only is it narrow and difficult as the way that leads to salvation, but he said, very few find it. So a message like today, I realize, is going out to all of you. But I pray that it will be more than a few in this room that will respond to such a message. Because at the end of the day, I'd rather be on a narrow path with Jesus where hardly anybody's around, but I see his footprints. But to be on a broad path, where everywhere I look, there's people, but I can't find Jesus anywhere. Because to be with Jesus is to be with life. And Jesus came to give us life, and that more abundantly. And so, brothers and sisters, would you join me as we just begin to open up our hearts now to receive from God. And let us just, first of all, read the text that we are going to look at. I'm going to just get a start on this and then we'll pray and we'll see how God wants to speak to us this morning. So 1 Kings 13, everyone there? It says, And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David. And on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you. And men's bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured Let's stop and pray. Father, before we go any further, we begin to have our attention grabbed by the reality of this story where a man of God shows up on this scene when a false king 
who's doing a false offering on a false altar to a false god is being approached with the truth of your word. And God, you tell us in your word that the truth sets us free. But your word cuts to the heart. And there are those, Lord, who rather than receiving the liberty that your word is able to bring them into, find that the word is hard. And that, Lord, there are some who would refuse what you say. And they would bring a judgment upon themselves. And Father, we are living in a sobering time in this nation's history. God, where right now in this present age, we are seeing so many abandoning the truth. Those representing the church and representing your name are giving in to every wind of doctrine. People with itching ears are heaping up for themselves teachers who will tell them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. And all the while, the goodness of God is being cast aside. And the grace of God is being missed out on by so many. And there is such a need for us to throw the net out at the word of the Lord and to speak the truth in this present age. And God, we pray that this word this morning will grip our hearts. It will cause us to awaken to a life of a higher calling. And that all of us would desire to go deeper and further and higher with you. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit right now, you would just bring us to a place where we are captive to what you have to say. That our ears would be open to hear what your spirit is saying. That our hearts would be ready to receive. And that we would all make much of Jesus this morning. So would you speak to us now, we pray. And we ask this. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and for his glory. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. Well, let me just give us a little context here to what is happening at this point in 1 Kings 13. See, the nation of Israel has divided. The tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob, have come to a point in this story, at this time in history, where 10 tribes are up in the north, in the northern kingdom known as Israel. And two tribes down at the south make up this now nation of Judah. And prior to this division of the nation, there was this desire for the people to have a king like the world does. They wanted to model after what was going on in the world rather than following the heavenly pattern that was given to them through Moses. And so they asked a king and required a king for themselves, and Saul was chosen to be that man. Now Saul was a man who, after a certain period of time, became envious when others were spoken about more highly than him, namely that of David. And after 40 years, Saul, even trying to kill his successor, saw that eventually he could not go against the hand of God, and David rose up to be the king. And David was called a what? A man? After God's own heart, a good place to be, pursuing the heart of God. David also reigned in Israel for 40 years. David had the desire to build a temple for the name of the Lord. But his hands were too bloody from the battles that he fought. That God only allowed him to provide for the temple to come. But his son Solomon 
took the throne. And Solomon reigned for another 40 years. But Solomon, having built the house of God, having all kinds of wisdom from above and, and blessings as a result of asking God for the wisdom to rule his people, eventually got comfortable in his success. His prosperity led him to drop his guard, and he became a bad steward of the wisdom that God had given to him. And let me tell you from the beginning here today that God has given us many things today, but the question is, are we being a good steward of it? It is required of a steward that he be found faithful. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2 says. So Solomon, he decided to take for himself whatever he wanted. At the end of his life in the book of Ecclesiastes, which if you've never read, you see an amazing reflection on one's life when you've lived for vain things. Solomon basically said, everything that was under the sun, I, I, I took for myself. I didn't keep anything back from me. If I wanted it, I went after it. He had 1,000 women at his disposal at any time. He was wealthy. He was prominent. He was respected. He had it all. But he said this. It was all vanity of vanities. He said, I was chasing the wind. Imagine that picture. Grasping the wind and having it just go through your hands and realizing you're coming up not only short but with nothing. Solomon was such a man. And he bred a generation of entitlement where people assumed they can do things their own way. But the Bible says in Proverbs 14, verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So Solomon passes the mantle of authority to his son, Rehoboam. But Rehoboam didn't follow in the ways of the Lord, but continued in the pattern of selfishness, which was self-destruction, and basically took for himself his own authority and demanded the people serve him in greater ways. He made it harder for the people. And Jeroboam was the man who began to plot his move for the crown. And Jeroboam basically has his own way of doing things in the north, and he basically sets up a, a, an alternative faith system for the people of God. So what we learn in 1 Kings 12 is that Jeroboam sets up altars. He sets up these false altars in Bethel and in Dan. And at this particular point, Jeroboam, who's leading the kingdom to the north, is offering an offering to God that's false. He's doing false worship to a false god. And he has no accountability. As far as he is concerned, he's the king. And ten of the tribes have got behind him, and he is ruling in this way. But then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, a man of God is sent to him. And I love what it says in our text in verse 1. And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. Now we don't know who this man is. He's unnamed. He's unknown. But the Bible makes a point of saying he wasn't just any man. He was a man of God. And I want to start this morning asking this question as well. What does it take to become a man of God? How do you go from being a man who lives your life as you please to being a man of God who has clearly chosen a different path? A man who pleases God. A man who stands for God. 
a man who speaks for God. See, this man of God shows up at a critical time in the history of the nation. And it's important that we recognize that in every generation, God has always had his people, his faithful remnant who were doing his will. I believe I'm surrounded by many this morning. I'm sitting with men and women of God and standing here up at the front right now, speaking the word of God. I'm, I know that some of you today are captive to hear what God wants to say to you because you want to grow. You want to learn. You want to go further. And that blesses my heart and it blesses the heart of God. See, because in the Bible, in the days of Jeremiah, the Lord had to speak against his people many times. But there was one particular time where the Lord said something that was very profound that I believe has a lot to do with our generation today. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, the Lord said, My people have committed two evils. One, they have forsaken me, the fountain of life. And then secondly, they have hewn for themselves broken cisterns which cannot hold water. See, there's the fountain of life that we can be drinking from all the time. But then there's the way that man deviates from God's plan and begins to do his own thing for his own way and creates a system that doesn't work. And it leaves people thirsting for more and more because it cannot hold the water. In this day and age in England, I don't think that would be too far fetched to say we see such a thing in our generation. People have forsaken God, the fountain of life. And we've hewn for ourselves broken cisterns. It doesn't work. And we are watching a world around us changing all the time. People want to remove God from the public sector. People want to do away with all kinds of, you know, biblical foundations saying that we are progressive now. This is the new word. We are progressive. And those of you who still believe in the Bible, well, come on, you must not be educated. You haven't become progressive enough. Times are changing. Get with the times. What's wrong with you? But Isaiah the prophet said this, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The word of the Lord will last far beyond every generation. And we are living in a time where we see that the leaders who have represented us have given us a reason to believe that we are entitled to our own happiness however we see fit regardless of what God says, regardless of what brings God glory. And so we are living in a time where we need to be aware of which voice we're listening to. So this man of God comes along from Judah to Bethel. But how did he get there? No, I'm not asking about transportation. What was his mode of transportation? How did he get there? According to verse 1, it says it was by the word of the Lord. See, this man of God learned something that we need to learn. That the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And if you want to go somewhere, you need to base your life on what the word of God is saying to you. Because to answer the question, first of all, how does a man become a man of God? The first thing that you have to recognize is, to be a man of God, you need to be a man that builds your life and bases the decisions of your life on what the word of God says. There's something about the Word of God and the man of God that those two things have to be together. You can't be a man of God and then pick and choose what you like about the Bible. 
You can't use the Bible as a menu and say, oh, I'll take some of, uh, you know, the New Testament, but I'll hold some of these things in the Old Testament. I don't really like that. And, and some of these New Testament teachings, they're not progressive enough for me, so I'm going to kind of evaluate them based on my education and based on my conveniences and comforts in life. And we, we do this in our society. And there are Bible teachers who are telling you things that are not based on the Word of God, but are based upon other ancient works and other things that scholars are saying about the Bible. And all these people are saying things, yet forgetting the fact that the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine and for reproof and for correction and, listen, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God, there's the title, may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. That means whatever good works God's prepared for me, I'll be equipped for them as I study the full counsel of God. And this man of God was showing us why he was a man of God. He was coming to Bethel by the word of the Lord. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need to live based on what God says to us. And it's got to be more important to you than whatever is popular, whatever is trendy, whatever is relevant. We need to be reverent first to what God has said. And we need to realize that God's word is so powerful that it's always relevant. It's always the word that we need to hear in every generation. It will never change. See, not only did the word of God bring things into existence, but the word of God exposes and cleanses us from all the things of resistance that are in our lives. So not only does the word create and bring things that were nothing into, into existence, but God, when his word comes in, cleanses us from evil, from sin, from selfishness. So there's no more resistance as it relates to our will being submitted to God. So Jeroboam is here on this day, and he is about to set up this, this offering. And just as he's about to give this offering to God, the man of God shows up. Perfect timing. And the man of God comes to him in verse 2, and it says, he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. Notice, not only did he get to the altar because the word spoke to him to get there, but when he got there, he used the word of God as his basis of dealing with the man. And so the word of God was spoken. And this is what he said. Oh, altar, altar. Thus says the Lord. Notice where his authority is. Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign that same day that the altar would actually split apart and the ashes would be poured out. And in verse 4, it tells us that after this word was spoken, it says, so it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God who cried out against the altar in Bethel, that he stretched out his hand from the altar saying, arrest him, arrest him. But as he said it, it says that his hand, which he stretched out toward him, withered so that he could not bring it back to himself. Now you got to picture this. Everybody look up here. Consider this. You've got a king in Israel who's false. He's about to make a false offering on a false altar to a false god, and a man of God shows up. And a man of God speaks the word of God to him. And this man uses his own authority to come against this man. 
and he puts out his hand and he says, arrest him. I don't like what he says. He's not giving me what I want to hear in my ears. He's not, you know, supporting my, my new way that I'm, you know, bringing worship to Israel. And he's doing this, of course, because he doesn't want the children of Israel to go all the way down to Jerusalem and to be able to worship there where the temple is and where the true sacrifices were meant to be given. So he sets up these false altars. But you see, you can't escape God. And the man of God comes to him with the word of the Lord. And when his hand goes out, as soon as he speaks against the man of God with his own authority, he comes in contact with the true authority of God. And as he speaks, his hand begins to wither, and he's immediately judged. And so the hand begins to wither. And we've already talked about the grass will wither, and the flower will fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. See, the word of God is a greater authority than this man. And so this man is watching his hand shrivel up before him, and he sees how God is judging him right there on the spot. There in Bethel, in the very place where you remember, Abraham had offered an offering to God and built an altar there in Bethel. Do you remember that in Genesis chapter 12, verse 8? It was there in Bethel, do you remember where Jacob had his dream of a, of a ladder that reached up to heaven and reached down to the earth with angels ascending and descending on it because God was establishing his authority to Jacob showing heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. And God was bridging the gap between heaven and earth and showing that God is bringing his will from heaven down to the earth. And Jacob was a part of God's divine plan to bring about his kingdom into the world. And so Jacob had his vision and had his dream there in Bethel. And later on we learn that he goes back to Bethel and he basically sets up an altar there himself. And so Bethel is a place where true worship had happened. But now on this day, Somebody has set up a false offering and is doing false worship to God. Now, I want you to picture this. The man of God is standing before the altar. And the king, his hand is now withered. His hand is now withered and the king realizes that God is on the side of this man. The Bible says, if God is for us, come on. If God is for us, who can be against us? The Bible says the Lord is our defense, and we shall not be moved. The Bible tells us that the Lord is on our side, and he is the one who is testifying on our behalf. When we stand and preach his word, it's in the authority of God that we stand in. So when this king was messing with this man of God, he was really messing with the God of the man. And you need to know that's true. Whenever something is happening in your life where you are being persecuted for righteousness' sake, you need to realize they're coming up against God. Isn't that what Saul of Tarsus learned when he was on the road to Damascus? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The Lord says. So back to our story. So the king's hand is withering, and then in verse 5, as sure as the prophecy went forth, it says the altar was split apart, and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Verse 6, now we have something interesting happening. In verse 6, the king is having a bit of change of heart. Not because he really wants to please God, but because he wants his hand back and restored. So he says, the king answers and says to the man of God, please entreat the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. 
Now here comes the test for the man of God. Because what we're going to learn this morning is that to be a true man or woman of God, you've got to pass several tests in your life. You've got to go through different challenges, trials, because that's where the character is produced. James said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. None of the testing of your faith produces patience. When patience has its perfect work, you'll be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Lots of times when you feel like your life is falling apart, it's actually God putting it back together. A lot of times when you feel like things are really hard in your life, it's actually then that God is actually building you up and giving you a deeper foundation. And so at this particular time, the man of God has a test because you see, the king has just said arrest him, but God has brought a judgment, and now the man of God's being asked to pray for him. So what should he do? Some of you might say, huh, good on you. I'm glad your hand's withered. I hope, another, I hope your other hand withers too. Don't you be talking like that to me. I just came here out of obedience preaching the word of God and you wanted to arrest me? And so the, this man of God could, could, could come to this position and, and rightly so say, I want judge, judgment for you. But the Bible says that mercy triumphs over judgment. And the Bible teaches us that blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. So the first test here is how do you deal with people who have wronged you? How do you deal with somebody who's hurt you? Because I know for sure that in a room of this size, I have, I'm talking to some people who have been disappointed. I know for sure that I'm talking to some people, you've been let down and hurt by the people you least thought would reject you, would hurt you, would disappoint you. But the thing is, the king of Israel, I mean, think about it. He's in the highest position of authority for the land. But he is not under the authority of the God who has made him, who has created him, who has called him. So the first test is, will this man of God show mercy? Will he pray for this man? And let's see what happens. It goes on to say there at the middle of verse six, so the man of God entreated the Lord, good for you. And the king's hand was restored to him and became as before. So we see this man of God was willing to show mercy. And you know what's beautiful to me about this part of the story? Is, you know, there are a lot of people out there who are atheists who don't believe in God. But when life gets hard, those same people will say, hey, yeah, you, you can pray for me. <laughs> or they'll say things like, you know, one thing about the Christians, they seem to really, you know, be helpful and they, they seem to really, uh, you know, come to aid when, when, when disaster comes. You know, I just got back from a trip to New Jersey in America where Hurricane Sandy hit and wiped out a bunch of the East Coast and homes. I went to the beaches where I took my family when I used to live there, and entire beaches were transformed, altered, changed. Piers were just destroyed. Boardwalks were just wiped away. Benches in the beach were lifted up by the waves and taken four or five blocks inland and put on the, uh, on the porches of houses. They were in back gardens. Houses were destroyed. All kinds of things. And you know what? When I got to New Jersey, it was just so wonderful to see the church I was a part of. They were leading relief efforts, bringing vans in to help restore homes, paint homes, fix fences, do whatever it took. And you know, all throughout history, this has been the case. I had the privilege of leading a team to 9-11 when the World Trade Center fell. And I was there three months after the World Trade Center fell. And I can tell you that all the people who were working around World Trade Center that weren't the authorities of the government were Christians just serving freely and giving food for the firefighters and the police officers. It's Christians who go to relief. And even after the governments bail out, the Christians still carry on the work. 
There are still Christians in Haiti right now after the devastating earthquake that's there. There's still Christians in Japan right now. There, I, I had a team that I took down to Louisiana where we went to Hurricane Katrina and we were helping the people relocate into their homes who lost all their homes. Some of them were in that, remember the big dome and the big stadium that was there in America? Some of you remember that. Do you know that FEMA, in the, uh, representing the White House in America, paid for my team of youth, high school students and college students who I was leading, to stay for three extra days in Louisiana because we became so instrumental to the government project of seeing these people relocated that they paid for our team to stay because the project would have fell apart without the Christian volunteers. What I want you to realize is on this is that throughout history, God's people have shown mercy. Why? Because they are people who understand the mercy of God for themselves. And to be a true man or a woman of God, you need to understand this. So I want just to say this to you. What does God require of us? What does Micah 6 verse 8 say? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of us? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Now listen to this. This man of God has already done two of the three. When there was compromise and corruption in his day, this man of God was willing to do justly by speaking the word of God. This man of God was willing to show mercy because rather than, you know, judging this man and wanting more evil upon this man, he prayed for him that his hand would be restored. So he did justly. He loved mercy. Now comes the next test. Will he walk humbly with his God? Because look at what happens next in the story. Verse 7. Then the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. Oh, sounds good. What kind of a reward? But the man of God said to the king, If you were to give me half your house, I would not go in with you, nor would I eat bread, nor drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall not eat bread, nor drink water, nor return, but the same way you came. So you see, this man was offered a reward to be honored. I mean, this is the king. You healed the king's hand. You're going to be esteemed. They're going to throw a parade for you. They're going to give you all kinds of delicacies. You're going to get rewarded. And the man of God was being tested now in his integrity and in his humility. Is he going to walk humbly with his God and do what God says and not grab attention for himself and steal the glory? Or is he going to give in? Is he going to say, you know... I've been serving the Lord. I've been obedient. The king wants to honor me. Hey, what's wrong with that? I'll probably even evangelize him in the process. So, you know, surely it's okay to do that. Listen, normally I would say that it's good to be in that position to be able to be a witness or be a light and, you know, minister to all those people in that situation, except that the word of the Lord was very clear. God told the man of God not to go the way that he came. God told him, I don't want you to eat. And drink from what's being offered to you. Because God is calling us to a higher standard. To make sure that we don't give room for the world to influence us. But that we remain distinct. See, if we're going to live godly in this present age, we've got to pass through a series of different kinds of tests. Can we stand strong in the face of adversity and compromise? Will we hold on to the truth of God's word even if it's not progressive enough or popular enough in our day? Will we be able to show mercy when people wrong us? Can we still show love and, and show forgiveness to them? And will we be able to maintain humility when it's very easy to grab attention and glory for ourselves?
I'm reminded of Charles Simeon. Anyone heard of him? Charles Simeon was a preacher in Cambridge over 150 years ago. Charles Simeon went to Cambridge University as a man who didn't believe in God. In fact, he was very harsh against the things of God at the time when he started his schooling at Cambridge. But he found out at that time in Cambridge University, it was required by the students to partake of the Holy Communion. Everybody had to take the bread and the cup. And, and he heard from other Christian students that you weren't to do this in an unworthy manner. That it wasn't right for you just to take the bread and take the cup. And, and, and if you don't even believe in God and you're not right with the Lord. So Simeon said, how do I get myself ready? And a brother handed him a book that taught him all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Simeon read that book and realized he was a sinner, needed to get his life right with God, and he prayed for forgiveness, and he prayed to receive Jesus, and he got so radically changed that, get this, Simeon started looking around the school campus and said, man, there are so many people here who are just hypocrites, who aren't even walking with the Lord. They're outwardly representing him, but inwardly there's no fruit, there's no reality, there's no experience of God in their lives. So Charles Simeon, he began to preach to the other students. Do you know how serious it is to be playing games with God? He became such a voice in the campus that the school wanted him to start preaching in the chapels. And eventually they sent him over to Holy Trinity, a church in the center of Cambridge, to start preaching there. But guess what they said to him when he started preaching? They said, Charles, you're just too godly of a man for an unholy society. You just got to cool down your message a bit. And they kicked him out. But while he was preaching, the church wardens were shoving him out the door. He continued preaching. And as he continued preaching, people in the church got up and followed him. And he was outside there in the building preaching the word of God. And the common people, all the people of the city that weren't a part of the university started coming out. And they were hearing the Bible preached. And some people threw food at him and mocked him, but many people were listening to what he had to say. And he went on to do this for a couple years until finally the church wardens had a change of heart and invited him back into the church. And for 54 years, he became the pastor of that church. And when he died, all kinds of people from the city and surrounding parts came to his funeral. And what was noted about this man was Charles Simeon was a man who preached Jesus Christ and him crucified to the day that he died. And there's a plaque of that inside the church building. But brothers and sisters, are we in a day and age again where people are saying, you know what, you're too godly for an unholy society. Is that possible to be too godly? Is it possible to be, to be shining the light too much? Brothers and sisters, if we're going to be men and women of God, we got to remember these three things. These are three things that we always have to remember to be true men and true women of God. We need to love Jesus above all. We need to love God supremely. He's got to be first and foremost. Jesus deserves our all in all. And we need to love him with all that we are. But we also need to live by the word through the passing seasons of time. We need to let the word of God always be what defines us, what dictates life for us. So we need to love the Lord, live by the word, but we need to leave out the world and its priorities. And it's so-called, you know, messages of this is what you need and this is what you have and all this entitlement that we're dealing with around us. I talk to so many people who say things like this now. You know what, Joey? God is a loving God. 
And my God wouldn't do this. And my God wouldn't do that. He wouldn't create a hell. And he wouldn't do this. And you know what? Maybe we need to recognize that in love, you know, if people love each other, we should maybe redefine marriage. And we should redefine, you know, what, what God says in, to adapt to our culture, to be progressive. And rather than leaving out the world, we put so much emphasis on what it says to us that we begin to leave out God and we embrace the world. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You either love the one and hate the other, you're loyal to the one or you despise the other, but you cannot serve God and mammon. And in this world of entitlement, so many people say, listen, because this is what they're saying to you. You can't really love someone unless you agree with what they do. But I would say to you this. If I, as a parent, watch my two sons, Josiah and Jordan, fighting, and I said, you know, sons, I love you guys so much. And, you know, I know you're beating each other up right now, and I know you're, you're hurting each other, but, you know, carry on doing what you're doing. Because, you know, if I love you, I've got to agree with the choices you make. What kind of a parent would I be? If I didn't get in there and teach them, this is wrong. This is not good for you. This is not what's best for you. And when you really understand love, you realize that love rejoices in the truth. When you really understand love, you realize that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. But that love never fails because it doesn't give up or give in to what other people are saying because true love perseveres the times we live in, and the paradigms that we are a part of. And so I'm thankful, brothers and sisters, of this truth. And this is truth that has set me free. I praise the Lord that God loved me enough not to leave me the way I am, but to make me different from what I was, to bring me into what he wants me to be. And the love that Jesus has for us is to change all of us. And whatever our starting points are, whatever our wrestlings are, whatever culture we came from, all of us need to recognize we need to repent and turn away from where we started from and get into where Jesus is calling us to go. And true love leads us onward. And this is where this man of God was on this day. He passed these tests. He was a man who did justly. He loved mercy. He walked humbly with his God. And he did not go the way that he came, verse 10 says. He did not return that way, the way that he came to Bethel. He went another way. But I want to bring us into this final point of testing for us. You can pass these tests. You can fight your battles and win, but Satan will not give up. And Satan is still looking for an opportune time to bring you down. And right now, God is telling us in his word that, listen, you need to prepare yourself. Because Satan is already right now orchestrating your next fall. Did you know that? Right as we speak, Satan is already figuring out a way to try to bring you down. But be encouraged. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And be encouraged because some of you today, listen, Satan has already got a way in there and your thinking has already become his. Some of you may have not liked what I just said a moment ago. Some of you may say, Joey, you know, your word is, it, it, it sounds too restrictive. It sounds too narrow. It seems like God's love is only being worked out in this way. But what about all the other expressions of God's love? The question you got to ask yourself is, how do you know what's an expression of God's love or not? The Bible says that God demonstrated his own love toward me, that while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. But the Bible tells me, 
that if I love God, I will keep his word. I will honor his name. I will do what he says. And what a, a lot of people are calling love today, the Bible would call lust. Let me tell you the difference between lust and love. Lust is something you can't wait to get. and Love is something you can't wait to give. Lust makes yourself the focus. Love makes God and others the focus. And brothers and sisters, we're at a point today where so many people, listen, are in a spiritual fog. They're confused. I, I'm talking to some people right now. You don't really know how to get up and get going right now. Some of you have, feel like you've hit a spiritual wall in your life. Listen to now, because I believe that the Lord wants to speak to some of you here. Listen carefully. Some of you feel like you've hit a spiritual wall in your life, and you feel like you can't get up and you can't get going. You don't know where to go from here. In fact, the wall seems so big that no matter how you look at it, you don't see any good future outcome of your situation. But I want to encourage you. The wall is not a wall at all. God has a higher call on your life that what he sees is a different picture. You're so small that you don't understand the Lord who is over this situation, who sees this wall as actually a step in a stairway of future blessing. And what God wants to do is take you up over the wall and onto another level in your spiritual life where once you get over the wall, you realize it was a stepping stone. And that when you're on that next step, you're going to see things from a different perspective because God is taking you deeper, higher into a new place in your walk with him. And some of you, when you hit those walls in life, it can feel so hopeless. Some of you feel, man, this is so difficult what I'm up against right now. It's such a wall, but next time you have that thought, or if you're in that place right now, I want you to realize that wall is not a wall at all. It's a higher call. Jesus Christ just wants you to realize you are much more small than you realize, that Christ is bigger, greater, more victorious, that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world, that when our hearts are overwhelmed, we can be led to the rock that is higher than I, and when we're building our life on the rock, we're going to go up and higher, and we're going to be on new levels of planes because God is taking us on a journey where we are being made into the image of Christ. And I want you to know this, there is one main thing that God is doing right now in all of your lives, one primary thing, and that is this, whatever your context, whatever your situation, God is looking to get one thing out of you, that's Jesus. He is right now working everything in your life to get Jesus out of you. And you say, Joey, I don't know why this has happened. Why have I been let down? Why is my work situation so hard? Why is my home life constantly bringing me to that place of despair? I feel so inadequate. I feel so ineffective. I feel like I can't get over this wall. And the Lord is saying, my dear child, I love you so much. I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let this wall come down on you. I've got a hand that I've connected you with. That when you put your hand in mine, my hand has already been pierced. My hand has already suffered on your behalf. And my hand has the strength to pick you up. When you are weak, it is then that you are strong. My strength is perfected in your weakness. And I am lifting you up on a higher plane. And when you get to that step, you're going to recognize the stepping stone that it is. And you're going to be able to experience the love of God in a way you didn't understand before. You're going to see things with greater clarity, unlike you've ever seen before. And I'm going to put you in a position where you're going to help other people to get there as well. Because you can't put people on that level until you yourself are there. And so I got to bring you up. But sometimes they bring you up, I got to bring you down so that you look up and that you recognize, I can't get over the wall. And then God says, let me bring you over the step. 
And when you get on that plane, when you get on that level field, you will be there to help others who are still down below there. And you will be bringing others to that place. And you will be experiencing deeper grace in your life. Brothers and sisters, God is for us, not against us. He is for us. And I want to bring this message to this closing point of this. This is so important now. Listen to me. If Satan can't get you with all of the worldly pleasure, he will find some kind of pseudo-spiritual measure to deceive you with. And so what happens in our story is an interesting twist. This man of God who we've been emulating, who we've been seeing as a great example, comes to another test in his life whereby he begins to show a loosening in the grip that he has on God's hand. And it says in verse 11, Now an old prophet dwelt in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. And they also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, Which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man of God went who came from Judah. Then he said, Saddle the donkey for me. So listen, let me stop right here. Let me tell you what's happening. An old man, a man who obviously hit a wall in his life but couldn't figure out that it was a stepping stone, has obviously become spiritually ineffective. An old prophet who used to speak the word of God is now realizing there's somebody else who was a, an instrument that God could use and that he was no longer holding on to the authority that he once walked in. He was no longer walking in the same way that he was. And so what happened is the, whether the older guy was envious of the younger man or whether the older man just began to try to take matters in his own hands, this old prophet went and sought after the man of God who, who passed all those tests. And when he arrived at the scene, he gets to this man of God and look at what it says in verse 15. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. And then he, the man of God, verse 16, said, I cannot return with you nor go in with you. Neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For I've been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by going the way you came. And he said to him, I too am a prophet. Oh, you too are a prophet. Carry on. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, bring him back. Bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he was lying to him. Now we know that Satan comes as an angel of light. And we know that he's the father of lies. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, we are living in a day and age where Satan has found a good open door inside the churches to steal hearts. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He is ripping off people with all kinds of false spiritual manifestations, with all kinds of false messages. And the man of God needs to be discerning to see, is this what the Lord's word has said or not? So this older prophet comes and with spiritual deception begins to challenge this man of God with a different word. Oh, why don't you come back to my house? God told me you're supposed to be with me. An angel came, you see, and said that you should be with me. The old man is not speaking the word of God to him. But the man of God says, well, he is a prophet. He is like me. He's professing that he hears from God. I'll just listen. I'll just do it. Even though God has so clearly spoken to me otherwise, I'll just go and, and do it. 
And this is the first time we see this exemplary man of God is having a deviation from the path that God has had him walking on. And he begins to loosen his grip on the authority of the word in his life. And I want to point out, you who are good Bible students who observe the Bible carefully, I want you to notice something that's already changed in this man of God. Everybody look back at verse 9. When the man of God was faced with the test the last time to go to the king's house, he said these words, verse 9, For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall not eat bread nor drink water nor return by the same way you came. Notice he says, The word of God commanded me. But when you get down to verse 17, he doesn't say the same thing. Look what he says. For I have been told by the word of the Lord. Rather than being commanded by the word of the Lord, he now says, I was told by the word of the Lord. And I know that may not seem like a big difference to you, but I want you to realize to the degree in which God's word has authority and influence in your life is going to be to the degree in which you can rise up against the temptation that's in front of you. It was the Lord Jesus Christ who showed us, it is written, it is written, it is written when he was tempted by Satan and he stood strong in what God had already previously revealed. But this man of God has moved from saying the word's commanding me to now the word's just telling me. Pretty soon it gets to the word's just suggesting to me. Then it becomes the word says it might be a good idea if you, but only if it makes you happy. <laughs> only if it makes you comfortable. Surely God would never want you to be uncomfortable, right? Surely God doesn't want trials or tribulations for you. And if you're going through hardship, oh, you probably are doing, you know, you need to cool down your Christianity. Listen, everyone. Jesus said, we are the light of the world, and we are the salt of the earth. But he said, if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it then be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown down and trampled underfoot by men. Brothers and sisters, look around you. England is an example of what it looks like when the salt loses its flavor. Because right now, people are just marching over with different agendas and, and, and progressive ways. And we are removing all the foundations. And the Bible says in Psalm 11, verse 3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So brothers and sisters, what the righteous need to do is to remember who the righteous one is and that God's judgments are righteous and they endure forever. David, a man after God's own heart, in Psalm 12, verse 1 says, Help, Lord! Help, Lord! For the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. Brothers and sisters, God is calling us to remain godly in this present age, to not lose heart, to not give up. This man of God gave in, and he went to the house. And the amazing thing in this story, if we had time, we can go deeper into it, but let me just kind of sum it up with this. This is what happens in the story. The older man of God, once he, got, once he has him back at his house, basically looks at the man of God and says, oh, I just received a real word from the Lord now. And you've disobeyed God, and you're going to be judged. And basically, the man of God leaves that house that day, and it says in verse 24, it says, when he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him. This man of God was devoured by a lion. Sounds like 1 Peter 5, 8. Be vigilant. The enemy, your adversary, roams around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. 
In the Old Testament, the Lord spoke to the serpent and says, you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And man was made from the dust of the earth. In the Old Testament, he was the serpent of old. In the New Testament, he's the great dragon. Looks like he's been eating some dust. Brothers and sisters, this lion ate the man of God because the man of God removed himself from the place of safety. He was no longer building his life on the word and listening to what God says, living by obedience. He began to cave in because somebody dressing up in spirituality told him to do so. And what happens is the man of God is now on the road and he's killed. And look at what it says there, there in verse 24 still. And his corpse was thrown on the road and the donkey stood by it. And the lion also stood by the corpse. What? The donkey who he rode on is standing by the corpse and the lion is there? Look at what verse 25 says. It's a sign to all the nation of Israel. And there men passed by and saw the corpse thrown on the road and the lion standing by the corpse. Then they went and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. Everybody look up here. I'm almost done. You've got to see this final point. Picture this. Because right now, God is giving a message that relates right now today. This is a prophetic moment of this message. The donkey who the man of God rode on is staying its, and standing its ground. But the man of God who gave in to the deception of the enemy is devoured on the ground beneath it. And the lion over here is standing there as a testimony to the people that Satan has got a victory there has been a, a deception that has taken place. The man of God is devoured on the ground. And so picture this. You've got a lion that's standing there over a man of God in Israel. You've got a donkey that should be running the other way. He should be saying, if the man of God's been devoured, I can be devoured too. The, man, the donkey should be running for its life, but it's staying there. And that's interesting. Because in Proverbs 28, verse 1, it says, The wicked flees when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. This righteous man, this godly man should have stood its ground, should have stood his ground to the end. And he passed so many tests and he won so many battles. But at this point in his life, God is saying something very significant for us in our day and age. We need to be faithful to the end. We need to stay the course, brothers and sisters. And we need to continue to stand upon the truth of God's word. So there you have the lion standing there. You have the man of God devoured on the ground and you have the donkey who's not leaving. And people are passing by, looking at the scene, going, this is odd. Everything's out of place. And brothers and sisters, if the Lord was to walk through this earth right now, walking in, if we were to look around at what's going on around us, things are out of place. We need the righteous to be bold like a lion, not to be devoured by one. We need to be standing our ground and standing true to the word of God. And do you know what's amazing to me about this scene? If we kind of jumble it up a bit and fast forward to the future. There comes a time where another man of God, Jesus, who is God in human flesh, comes riding on a donkey. And he comes into Jerusalem at a time when the religious people have also been given over to their false ways, acknowledging him with their lips, but their hearts are far from God. And Jesus comes riding on as the man of God on the donkey, and he comes to disrobe the power of the evil one. He comes to do away with the power of darkness, and he comes to silence that lion who seeks to devour and Jesus Christ goes to Calvary's cross and he finishes a work that we could never finish for ourselves. And Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price. And Jesus Christ is the man of God that we put our faith in. And we have Jesus Christ living in us. And we have Jesus Christ who's filled our lives with his life, with his joy, with his peace. We have Jesus Christ who's called us to be his mouthpieces and to be voices in this generation. And we've got to stand up for him and make him known.
He did the work and we're just called to let it be known. He died for us and we're called to say, let me tell you about the one who loves you more than you could ever love yourself. We serve a God who has demonstrated his love and Jesus Christ is here today to call us to be his voices, to be his mouthpieces so that we can devour the evil one. Listen to these words, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. The Bible says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. That's what it's about. Living godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. I know that in this fellowship, you've recently finished the book of 2 Timothy. You've been going through Timothy. And do you remember what Paul said in his final word to Timothy? The very last part of the book, I have a feeling that Paul was referring to the passage we've been in today. Because where this man of God didn't finish well, and he was devoured by the mouth of the lion, do you know what Paul said at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4? Paul says these words, powerful. Paul says this, verse 17, but the Lord stood with me, and he strengthened me, that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Hallelujah. Did you hear that? Paul is saying, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. And brothers and sisters, he will deliver you. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will stand with you. He will be with you through the hard times. He will walk you through, not around, the valley of the shadow of death. And you don't have to fear any evil because God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. You say, Joey, there's so many things up against me. Yeah, and all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. But Joey, there's people against me. If God is for you, who can be against you? But I'm in a battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. But there's people with weapons. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. But I don't have peace. He who keeps his mind on him, God will keep him in perfect peace. But I'm anxious and I feel worried. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the God of all peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of the Lord. God is not done with you. God is calling you right now to be a man and a woman of God. And you need to remember to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. But you need to be on a lookout for the spiritual ways that Satan will try to allure you into deception. And that's why we need to stand strong in the word of God so the message can be preached, so that people can be saved so that all will know that Jesus Christ is Lord to those in heaven, of those on the earth, and of those under the earth, because every knee is going to bow. Every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise you, Jesus.
praise you, Jesus. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, I thank you this morning for your word. It has challenged us and allowed us to see, Lord, what we're up against in our present age. And I thank you, Lord, that this man of God had no name because it can just be a picture for what all of us can be in our generation. Lord, I thank you that we can be men and women of God who loves you supremely, who lives by the word continually, and who leaves out the world ultimately from all the things that are pulling at us. Father, I pray that, God, we would just rise up in this generation to be your voices. I pray that we would be the light and be the salt you've called us to be. But above all, I pray that we would so have our minds open to see the reality of your crucified death and of your resurrected life so that we can realize that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That the life that we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us and who has defeated the enemy. The lion's mouth has been stopped over us and we don't want to listen to his voice. For the sheep only know the voice of their shepherd. In the name of Jesus, we pray right now, God, that you would tune our ears and sharpen them to only hear your voice. That from this day forward, we would build our families, our homes, our lives upon the living word of God. And that we would not look to our left or look to our right, but we would press forward to the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I pray, Father, that we would run this race to the finish. For we remember that before Paul said those words, that he was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, he said that he kept the faith, that he finished the race. And that, Lord, he fought that good fight of faith. And God, we want to fight our good fights of faith today, knowing that you are on our side. You will stand with us. And it's in your authority and it's in your promises that we will go forward. So I pray right now for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit for all of us. Right now, brothers and sisters, just open your heart and ask God to fill you afresh. Father, we ask right now that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us godly wisdom. Give us godly courage. Give us convictions that will remain even when our generation cast them aside. Lord, we want to go forward with you, knowing that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I just want to pray blessing over everyone here. And that God, if anyone today just needs to turn away from what's been holding them back or feels like they hit that wall but needs to know that it's a stepping stone, I pray they would look up and find salvation in you. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if that's you right now, that's all you need to do this morning. You call out to Jesus, and he will be right there to meet you. He will be right there to be your ever-present help in your time of need, that you might be a godly man or a godly woman in this present age. So we give our hearts to you, and we thank you that you have already given yourself for us. Everything we do is now a response to your love. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. In Jesus' name that we live. And in Jesus' name that we preach this message. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. 
Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.